Insights, the podcast series produced by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. I'm your host, Di Snape. Well, it's that time of year again at the board. Registration renewals just closed. Hope you got those in in time. Um, We are now accepting applications for this year's um, Byra Hadley Travelling Scholarships. Avid listeners of Architecture Insights will no doubt have listened to um, interviews with previous recipients of the Byra Hadley bequest. Apart from listening to us have a chat on the podcast with people who've undertaken um, travelling scholarships, you can also read past research reports. We're in the process of compiling a library on the website. Um, Each person who undertakes a travelling scholarship is required as part of the conditions of the scholarship to prepare a report and submit it to the board. So you can download those from the website. Um, I'll put a link Um, up with this podcast 
I recently caught up with some returning travellers who actually took their scholarships here in Australia, travelling a little bit further afield, gathering information about vertical schools. In this episode, you'll hear my interview with Adam Swinburne. I also spoke with Nicole Larkin, whose scholarship focused on the wild edge of New South Wales and in particular ocean pools, and Bobby Bailey and Owen Kelly, who peddled a grand section across Australia. So please consider applying for a travelling scholarship. Applications close at the end of July and you can find the link to the relevant page of our website up with this podcast. Thank you for having me. Good to have you. Tell me, what was your original pitch for the Borough Hadley Travelling Scholarship and what motivated you to undertake this particular piece of research? So in 2015, IGS, or International Grammar School, hired uh, the university I was studying at, University of Technology Sydney, to push school design as far as possible. So what they really wanted was uh, bold and open mind proposals from students uh, for a master, for a, sorry, a campus master plan that they were preparing. So what year were you in at that time? So I had just finished my master's and they had asked back some alumni students for this project. Oh, right, okay. And uh, what they were really going for was something different to the conservative, maybe potentially conservative proposals that you would get from a seasoned professional. So having students come in and kind of provide a different insight into the project. Um, and during the early stages, we had a tour of the school. Uh, it's a six habitable level school. And what we came across really early was that the spaces were completely different to what all of us had originally grown up in, which was suburban style, low rise schools. And during early precedent studies, we just could not find any information on an approach for multi-level schools in order to inform our design proposals. The, the information you find on that we found was more for the suburban sites, suburban campus schools, right, right. Um, mm. more so than high-rise buildings. So there was just a real, it was, it was difficult to find precedent studies in general, and that kind of really got me thinking and with a lot of the buzz around the vertical school developments which the, which are happening in New South Wales with Arthur Phillip High School and the school in Ultimo being at the, the media forefront of the time there was just a, a gap in the research to really find out a good approach to these multi-level schools so really I wanted to investigate the spatial configurations of multi-story schools across the world so the, the study with International Grammar School evolved into the research masters. So the Bar Hadley folded into the masters, essentially. So the Bar Hadley enabled me to undertake the fieldwork component for the research, mm -hmm. uh, which involved visiting 14 case studies across nine cities across the world. So what do you think is so significant about vertical schools in cities right now? City centres have become increasingly desirable for couples and young families to live in, reversing a decades-old trend of population flight to the suburbs, predominantly to raise children. What we're seeing now is that these couples and young families are choosing to remain in the city, mainly 
because they want to be closer to sources of employment. Uh, they're rejecting the long commutes, 30 kilometre commutes from the suburbs into cities. They want to be close to culture. And as a result, these emerging growth areas put a increased land value and sizes of plots that would have typically been suitable for a conventional low-rise school is no longer available. So the, to accommodate the supply of students that will be in that area, the buildings will need to conform to these plot lands and grow up as uh, build up as a result of this. So how recent is this? I mean, you're pretty young. What sort of a school did you go to? So I went to a low-rise Catholic school, really. So uh, in terms of like a high school, it was maximum four storeys. So um, with big sprawling fields and campus, uh, big sprawling fields, um, plenty of green areas to hang out with, uh, hang out with your friends in, and schoolyards for major assemblies. So this change has kind of come about, you think, in the last 10 years? Would that be accurate to say, or is it more recent than that? I would say Australia's first vertical school would have been in 1976, but we haven't really seen anything until the last five years in terms of the development of new types, this this new emerging model of school design. The most recent one in Australia would be uh, St George's Anglican School in Perth, which is a refurbishment of an office block into a school. And that's one of the ones that you travel to, isn't it? Yes. So do you think that the role of the school in our community has changed? And is it, did you find that schools play a different or a similar role within cities when you were travelling? Well, the school should definitely be placed at the heart of the community so it can further promote its values and for a vertical school which would most likely be in a city centre it has a significant role in the process of city making Uh, so it is a place where people can gather it's where people and parents can do things sports happen and you can meet your neighbours and this is incredibly important for our inner cities because these spaces might not be available so readily and Having the school to be able to lease or share out spaces for these kinds of facilities, to facilitate these kinds of activities for the community and fill in those missing blanks is great. Um, You know, the school is able to host kids' parties, it could host maker spaces, cooking classes, it can be a satellite library, it can offer sports um, and meeting spaces. Uh, but the the key issue is is the the sharing of the facilities and the management of how those those spaces. So is this a new thing, or is this actually going back to an older relationship between school and community? I guess we went through a bit mm. of a period where mm. schools were traditionally fenced off, as mm. you just described. The kids all had their enormous playing fields, which was just mm. for school use. But now we're seeing a much more close relationship between local council mm. and the use of the school hall or those rooms which are available to hire. Do you think this is new or is this a return to a um, something which 
was typical of, of older, like smaller communities. Well, this is definitely a return to some of those those old traditional beliefs for school design. And I think going back to that comment about fencing off the school, the, a real success to the vertical school is that you can provide a public ground floor and then have a secured school sitting above it so you can really allow the, the ground floor to have some of those shared spaces like theatres or gyms so that the public can utilise them outside of contact hours but not necessarily be able to get into the spaces that the school above, eliminating some of your needs for fences. I found that part of your report really interesting where the secure line is about a, a level as opposed to... Um, as, as opposed to a fence around the outside. In your travel, did you see a lot of examples of those sorts of schools that relate to the street and relate to the community in that way through ground level? Mm -hmm. So School of the Arts in Singapore did a really fantastic job of this. So there was one access point or an escalator that took you up to the secured school zone and then everything beneath was completely public accessible. There was even uh, retail shops and restaurants that the that people in the community could visit. And what's really fantastic about that is that th that ground floor space would have a, a higher value to lease or cost more to lease. So you can actually make the most of make the most use of that by leasing that out to for, for more public use. Do you think that that kind of model could um could be successful in a in a New South Wales or a Sydney context. That idea of having retail or commercial sort of spaces at lower levels. Absolutely, as long as whatever those spaces are don't conflict with the the security or the the day to day use of the school itself. Um, in Australia, we we typically like to have a bit more green or open spaces for students for recreational play because our climate allows for it. Uh, so as long as you can manage that as well, then there's there are definitely pros to having some sort of mixed-use model there. What do you think the key factors would be um, to allow the success of that, to allow that to happen? Do you think we could do it <clears throat> under the current circumstances, under the in the way that planning works and schools are delivered. Have you looked at that kind of thing or are you, is that a, possibly a future stage for the research? Uh, that's definitely could be a future stage of the project. Uh, at the moment it's more just kind of understanding what the possibilities are rather than how, how you would actually deliver it. So um, you obviously started out looking at the impact of site constraints on the design of vertical schools. Has there also been, from what you've observed, um, a development in teaching de benefits derived from this uh, approach? Is there, is there a clear relationship between the way that teaching is delivered and this spatial model that you can see? At the moment, the vertical school seems to be more purely economic driven, um, but from what I've investigated, there's a whole, all the different pedagogical models in school thought at the moment. So student-centred learning and teacher-centred learning. I've seen mod those models integrate into the vertical school and work successfully in all cases. In 
So to answer the question short, in short would be that there is, there is no, there seems to be no learning difference between having students in a vertical school or a low rise horizontal school. Um, but there are, there is what, well, there, there is a benefit. There is a benefit that, that these vertical schools can provide richer communities, that, especially if you incorporate some sort of central atrium that breaks down the stratification of the different floor plates and brings the school community together in the center. Um, it kind of creates more bump spaces, especially around the stairs. The stair is one of the, the focal points of these schools, and that's where people can see their friends playing down on one of the bottom levels from the top and they can yell out to them and go down and find them. And it's really easy for the staff to supervise the students because they can stand on a higher level and look down across the entire building. Can you explain bump spaces? What does that mean? A bump space is an is a interaction spot, really. That's what I would kind of define it as. It's where you run into someone that may be a friend, maybe a, a teacher, um, and it gives you an opportunity to converse with them. I think in your report you were trying to find um, a, an adaptable set of spatial principles for designing education spaces that allowed for teaching models to change within that space. Is that, an, is that accurate? Yeah, I, I can. For a, a, a vertical school, well, for any school, they could be, a, a student could be educated in it for 100 years and the building might not change or only change a little bit with some renovation work. So what we really need to do, and especially for a high-rise school, where it's going to be even more difficult to modify these buildings once they're in operation, is to ensure that, that the, the key elements or the key spatial aspects are delivered upfront and catered for because, because a lot of those are not, probably not gonna change over its lifetime. So some of the, the key things that we're, we're looking at is of course the building needs to be highly and readily adaptable for changing curriculums or pedagogies because that building may outsee 10 different curriculum changes in its lifetime. So it's about, so that some of the key aspects is making sure that uh, there's a sense of contact in the building, that a student can feel, feels like it's part of the larger school community wherever they are. And uh, that is definitely by using things like atriums and connecting people, or double height spaces, um, or with mezzanine floors. One of the other key aspects is circulation, is making sure that you have provided enough lifts or stairs so that the students can move around in, because once those aspects are designed and built for, it's, it would be really difficult to modify. Yeah, there's a key question of sustainability within that, isn't there? The, you know, the um, durability of a building to serve its original purpose. Um, you've taken a pretty um, forensic look 
at a few selected case studies. And you visited, how many schools did you visit in the end, did you say? Uh, 14. Right, okay. And your your report, which anyone can take a look at, and I recommend having a read of it, is available on the uh, ARB website, and I'll put the link up when I post this podcast. The ones that you selected in particular, can you describe why you chose those ones specifically? So the schools that I visited were of architectural merit. Um, They were much easier to discover online and organising interviews and things. For analytical purposes, aiming for case studies that had approximately or on average 1,200 students and most of them were secondary schools. The average height of these buildings were around 10 storeys and had a bit of gross plot ratio of 6.5. So the vertical schools that I visited were all in major city centres across the world, so New York, Chicago, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, because this is where most of the density happens and where there, are, where there is density, there seems to be vertical schools as a result of the small plot size. Um, and all of these schools offered different, different spatial configurations or had different spatial arrangements. So the schools that I visited in Singapore and Hong Kong, for example, had a lot more attention to uh, natural ventilation. How do you, especially with the climate there, making sure that the classrooms had a sufficient light. Uh, Schools in America, because they had even smaller plot sizes, were more about maximising the footprint. So the building was a result of, (laughs) the floor plates were a result of the, the site area. When really, really, the, the schools in America were an extrusion of the site. And so whatever shape that the, the site came in was the, the, the actual design of the school and the spaces were designed around that. So what were you trying to gather from these? Was it the reoccurring themes um, or was it a way that they... What, what were you trying to get out of these, these particularly analytical close looks that you took at the, the case study schools? Well, because Australia is really building its first vertical schools, it, it's a great opportunity to kind of learn from what other cities have already done and to take those lessons and apply it to the f- future projects here so that we can get something that is well-considered and well-designed that will benefit the education of our younger generation. Did it fulfil your expectations of what you were going to find? Was there a point where you were surprised by what you were finding in these schools? So about halfway through my trip, a common theme that constantly came up was that students and teachers didn't want to go up and down floors. They, no one wanted to do it. And I can understand why, especially if they weren't allowed to use lifts. But there was one school that I came across in Copenhagen, Orestad College, which students were extremely excited to go up and down levels. And it was all down to little architectural detailing where they had, it was a spiral staircase down five floors. And that the banister was designed in such a way that kids could safely slide down the banister, not having to walk. And that totally changed the whole atmosphere and perception of going up and down a floor. As a matter of fact, kids were happy to 
be on the top level than get to go down for lunch because of that simple element, that little fun, exciting element that was part of, part of the design. People doing travelling programs like this have got to try and figure out how to get into do interviews and look at projects. I got in contact with the project architect or the directors at those firms and was really, really first began with just engaged with what they were doing and telling, really saying, I'm, I'm coming from the other side of the world, I really want to meet you, I really want to include this project as part of a case study for this research that I'm doing on vertical school design, do you have an hour for me to come by? And a lot of them are just really excited the fact that you that someone's coming from Australia to come talk with them. And then that really, going through the architect, actually helped the, the gateway into visiting a lot of the schools because um, a lot of the, there's a lot of security requirements to visit schools, um, especially some of the schools that I visited. So having that connection with the architect who was really passionate about what I was doing because they were doing more vertical school types and having this uh, having this set of resources for them on future projects was an asset to them so that really allowed me to, to So have you there. kind of developed a bit of a network of people interested in this field of research? Absolutely. So a lot of the some of the people that I visited uh, were are writing their own um, guidelines for educational facilities. I had a unique opportunity to meet Herman Hertzberger, which was a Pritzker Prize winner. Um, honestly, I, I, I didn't even think he would had the time to, to, to see me, let alone let me come in for an interview. And it was just really exciting to just pick his brain. You know, someone who's been in the industry for decades and have done so many schools and has seen it all and has written so much material on it and to really just question everything that I was doing straight up and and really break down the whole idea of what a vertical school even is it's it's like having for him having a two level building with no contact between the two levels is already too high it's already got too many stories and so it's just kind of understanding the principles of what a school what good school design should be and how you can then apply it to multi-storey schools. So have you had any tips for um, an aspiring Byra Hadley scholar in preparing themselves or submitting an application, which, by the way, is due on the 31st of July? What would you say? Of course you want to do a topic that you're interested in, but I, I actually felt doing it the rigour of actually setting it up as a PhD question really helped me. So that is identifying what the research problem is. What are you trying to solve? What are the main research questions that you want to answer? And what is the significance of your research? And then by understanding or knowing or personally how what those answers are really does set you up. The research was so valuable. Picking a topic that is so valuable to the community or just picking a topic that is valuable to everyone makes it a lot easier to organise and and do the work on. The New South Wales Department of Education are under huge pressure to provide schools for our growing population. Mm. It's 
new state budget reveals increasing expenditure mm -hmm. in the education budget. Um, you talked at the beginning of our conversation and in your report about the gap in the research that you want to address in in this um, travel that you undertook as well as in your masters. What might this offer to architects who are involved in designing schools? The ambition of the thesis is to provide a high level document to architects government officials, people interested in building schools, school administration, with, an eye, with a set of principles on what vertical school design should look like, really, and what are the main things that they should consider going forward on their project. It's not a cookie-cutter approach. Every site is different, and, <clears throat> and so we can't... So there's no one answer that will... The, 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 there is no one answer. But to be able to to be able to start thinking about what these things should look like is important. Thank you very much, Adam Swinburne, for coming in and speaking to me this evening. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed being here. That was. Adam Swinburne um, talking to me about vertical schools. You can uh, download Adam's report um, and all of his case studies from our website. Um, really fascinating stuff. Great, great, di um, great diagrams in there. Highly recommend it. And uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to speak to Adam again once um, once he's completed his research. Um, I think that'd be really interesting. Thanks for listening to Architecture Insights. Please give us a like on SoundCloud or uh, iTunes, wherever you download your podcasts from. Um, and if you'd like to listen to other episodes of our podcast or podcasts that we like, have a browse around our SoundCloud page. We, we tag other people's podcasts about subjects that we're interested in. You might uh, be interested in them too. Check it out. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dice Nate.